Greetings, this is podcast number 62 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we're going to talk about right-wing voter suppression and racism dating back to 1968 and continuing into the present. We'll also hear some clips of progressive, true Christian leaders taking on phony right-wing Christians. And I'll update you on the podcast alley voting. The situation is getting dire. I need to issue a call to battle stations. Let's get right into it. The right-wing dominated House of Representatives just passed a bill that, quote, would require people to show a photo ID to vote in 2008. Starting in 2010, that photo ID would have to be something like a passport or an enhanced kind of driver's license or non-driver's identification containing proof of citizenship, close quote. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with this law and put it in the context of decades of right-wing GOP racism. My sources for this segment are articles, editorials, and columns in the New York Times and the Boston Globe. The ostensible reason given by the right for passing this bill is laughable. The reason they give? Deterring vote fraud. Quote, That is a phony argument. There is no evidence that a significant number of people are showing up at the polls pretending to be other people, or that a significant number of non-citizens are voting. Close quote. Think about it for a second. Undocumented immigrants are generally terrified of coming into contact with government officials, and especially of attracting the attention of law enforcement for fear of deportation. Undocumented workers who are not paid by their employers are usually too scared to seek redress. Undocumented immigrants who are victims of crimes, even violent crimes, often don't report the crimes for fear of exposing their undocumented status. But these same people who will let unpaid wages and crime victimization go by are going to go ahead and risk being deported just so they can vote? Sorry, that's just stupid. Oh, excuse me, I meant to say, that's just right-wing. As an aside, let me point out that electronic voting machine fraud is where large-scale electoral fraud has and will continue to occur, but Congress refuses to do anything about that. See podcasts 13 and 17. The reason Congress refuses to act is because the right-wingers in control of Congress are the beneficiaries of that electronic voting fraud, as they will be of such a voter ID law. But I get ahead of myself. What's the real reason for this voter ID bill? Why the sudden interest by the GOP in a non-existent type of vote fraud? The answer is, it's part of a long-standing effort by the GOP to make covertly racist appeals and disenfranchise those who don't vote for Republicans. A bit of background. In the Civil Rights era, actually starting in 1968 with Richard Nixon, the Republican Party employed what was dubbed the Southern Strategy. 
It was designed to attract the votes of whites who were upset that the Democrats had lent their support to civil and voting rights for African Americans. In a 1981 interview, the late Lee Atwater described the Southern strategy. Atwater was the grandpappy of all the Republican dirty campaign strategists. Karl Rove was a disciple of Lee Atwater. Now, when I read this, instead of the racial epithet that rhymes with trigger that Atwater uses, I'm going to use the term N-word. Atwater told his interviewer that quote. You start out in 1954 by saying N-word, N-word, N-word. By 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. Backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now that you're talking about cutting taxes, and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things. And a byproduct of them is that blacks get hurt worse than whites. Close quote. A note to my right-wing friends who may be listening: Please don't bother to send me the short Hannity talking point that a greater percentage of Republicans than Democrats voted for the Civil Rights Act. Yes, back then the Democrats had a racist wing, the Dixiecrats. The split back then wasn't Democrat-Republican; it was conservative-liberal. By and large, liberal Democrats and liberal Republicans supported the Voting Rights Act. Right-wing Democrats and right-wing Republicans opposed it. But after these civil rights laws passed, the Republican Party, the GOP, became the place where racist voters and politicians migrated. The Republican Party flipped from the party of Lincoln to the party of the Southern Strategy. The Southern Strategy was employed big time by Ronald Reagan. It always disgusts me when right wingers hold him up as some paragon of virtue. The man was a racist. Here are five points to knock down any right winger who would deny that. One, Reagan opposed the Civil Rights Act. Two, Reagan opposed the Voting Rights Act. Three, Reagan opposed making the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. a national holiday. Aren't one, two, and three enough? You know what kind of people espouse these kind of positions. But let's do four and five anyway to put the icing on the racist cake. Four. Ronald Reagan helped prop up the racist South African apartheid regime. I know I'm ranging far afield here, but you've just got to understand the all-pervasive anti-African American. Here it would be anti-black African period. The all-pervasive racist ethos that is a hallmark characteristic of the mid to late twentieth and early twenty-first century GOP. Back in the 1980s, at a time when the world was trying, through disinvestment and other methods, to coerce the South African apartheid dictatorship to give up power to the majority black population, Reagan insisted on following a typically phony right-wing policy called constructive engagement. Reagan claimed such a policy would lead to positive change in South Africa. As with virtually everything a right winger claims, the exact opposite is true. That such is the case here was attested to by none other than Desmond Tutu. Quote, Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu called President Ronald Reagan's South Africa policy 
immoral, evil, and totally unchristian yesterday and offered to meet with Reagan before flying to Europe to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. We are talking about a moral issue, the bishop-designate of Johannesburg said, declaring that South Africa's apartheid policy of racial segregation is evil, is immoral, is unchristian without remainder. In my view, the Reagan administration's support and collaboration with it is equally immoral, evil, and totally unchristian, Bishop Tutu said. You are either for or against apartheid, and not by rhetoric. You are either in favor of evil, or you are in favor of good. You are either on the side of the oppressed or on the side of the oppressor. You can't be neutral. Bishop Tutu told the lawmakers that the administration's policy of constructive engagement, or low-key diplomacy, quote, has encouraged the white racist regime into escalated intransigence and oppression, close quote. Encouraged the racists into escalated intransigence and oppression. Opposing U.S. civil rights legislation and supporting a racist regime in South Africa. This GOP standard bearer, idolized by the right, certainly paints an ugly picture, doesn't he, this Ronald Reagan? Listen, I can never mention Ronald Reagan without pointing out that besides being a racist, he was a mass-murdering war criminal for what he did to the people of Nicaragua through his terrorist army, the Contras. That could be the subject of an entire podcast. For you old hands out there who lived through those times, and those of you who know of it, you'd be interested in knowing that the Bush administration is still seriously interfering in that nation. Best place to find out more about this is the Nicaragua Network website, nicanet, N-I-C-A-N-E-T dot O-R-G. Back to the racist Ronald Reagan, and point number five to throw in a right-winger's Reagan-worshipping face. In 1964, during the heyday of the Civil Rights era, three young men, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, traveled to Mississippi to help register African Americans to vote. Two carloads of Klansmen, yes, members of the Ku Klux Klan, chased them down, beat and murdered them, and buried them in an earthen dam. This happened outside the town of Philadelphia, Mississippi. This was one of the most notorious incidents of the entire civil rights struggle. So where did Ronald Reagan choose to make one of the early important speeches of his 1980 presidential campaign? Yup, you guessed it, right outside of Philadelphia, Mississippi at the Neshoba County Fair. No presidential candidate had ever spoken there, but Reagan had his southern strategy to effectuate. Quote, during his appearance in Philadelphia, Reagan told a cheering crowd, I believe in states' rights. Close quote. My goodness, states' rights is one of those code words that Lee Atwater referred to when he said, since you can't yell N-word, N-word, N-word anymore, you talk about states' rights. This bastard Reagan went to the location where the civil rights workers were murdered and essentially told the wildly cheering crowd, N-word, 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 I'm with you, white people. So the GOP has a history here. As Bob Herbert put it, quote, 
from the Willie Horton campaign to the intimidation of black voters in Florida and elsewhere to the use of every racially charged symbol and code word imaginable, it's all of a piece. Close quote. In other words, in order to understand the purpose behind the voter ID law, you have to see who's pushing it. The GOP, the right, is pushing it. Their purpose is twofold. First, by invoking without any evidence the specter of hordes of undocumented immigrants illegally voting, the GOP can appeal to the latent, or unfortunately often not so latent, racism of Southern strategy whites, upset now not only about African-American gains since the Civil Rights era, but also about the mostly Latino undocumented immigrants that have come here. Karl Rove is just adding voter fraud, we need voter IDs, to the force-busing states' rights litany described by Rove's mentor, Lee Atwater. Watch out, those Mexicans are all going to vote and steal your elections from you if we don't have a voter ID law. The second purpose, quote, One of the cornerstones of the Republican Party's strategy for winning elections these days is voter suppression, intentionally putting up barriers between eligible voters and the ballot box. The actual reason for this bill is the political calculus that certain kinds of people, the poor, minorities, disabled people and the elderly, are less likely to have valid ID. They are less likely to have cars and therefore to have driver's licenses. There are ways for non-drivers to get special ID cards, but the bill's supporters know that many people will not go to the effort if they don't need them to drive. If this bill passed the Senate and became law, the electorate would likely become more middle-aged, whiter, and richer, and its sponsors are anticipating more Republican. Close quote. Again, the historical context. What could have been a position more in line with voter suppression than Reagan's opposing the Voting Rights Act? The voter ID bill is just another means to the same end. With all this in mind, perhaps you will understand why a host of courts have found these voter ID laws unconstitutional because of their disenfranchising effect. In just the past weeks, courts in Georgia and Missouri have so held. So why is the right pressing ahead anyway if such a law has consistently been held unconstitutional? Quote, Supporters of the House bill are no doubt hoping that they may get lucky and that the current conservative Supreme Court might uphold their plan. Close quote. Yep, Roberts and Alito could tip the balance and legalize de facto disenfranchisement. As the New York Times put it in an editorial, quote, America has a proud tradition of opening up the franchise to new groups, notably women and blacks, who were once denied it. It is disgraceful that, for partisan political reasons, some people are trying to reverse the tide and standing in the way of people who have every right to vote. Close quote. Trying to reverse the tide of history standing in the way of the least of these, two of the prime functions of the right wing. We'll work for food, we'll die for oil, we'll kill for power, and to us the spoils, the 
billionaires get to pay less tax The working poor get to fall through the cracks So let them eat jelly beans, let them eat cake Let them eat sh whatever it takes They can join the Air Force or join the Corps If they can't make it here anymore You can read it in the paper, read it on the wall, hear it on the wind if you're listening at all. Get out of that limo and look us in the eye. Call us on a cell phone, tell us all why. In Dayton, Ohio, or Portland, Maine, or a cotton gin. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. You're listening to podcasternews.com. Go, 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 go. Do you know Do you your, know your local, local congressman? congressman? It's a fact that the Democratic Party is overwhelmingly pro-choice and pro-gay marriage. They hold radical beliefs such as free speech and the right to privacy. You don't need you don't need privacy if you're not hiding a suicide bomb underneath your jacket. Nine out of ten Taliban prisoners interviewed in Guantanamo preferred Democratic candidates. Osama bin Laden even mentioned one in his recorded messages, which begs the question, recorded threat to America or secret message to sleeper Democratic candidate hellbent on the destruction of our Judeo-Christian values. Fact, Jesus Christ is a renowned Republican. We know this because George Bush regularly talks to God. Check out all the great shows at www.podcasternews.com. This has been Gonzo Gone Wrong. I've devoted a couple of segments to exposing right-wing phony Christians, I call them pseudo-Christians, as consistent violators of the most basic commandment of Jesus, as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Jesus was talking about whether those he was addressing had or had not fed the hungry, given drink to the thirsty, tended to the sick. I thought maybe you'd like to briefly hear some of the national religious figures on the left who were publicly calling right-wing Christians to task for just such violations of this teaching of Jesus. These clips are from a CBS Evening News story. Here's Reverend Bob Edgar, General Secretary of the National Council of Churches, which represents 50 million mostly mainline Protestants. Jesus never said one word about homosexuality, never said one word about civil marriage or abortion. Jesus called us to love our neighbor, love our enemy, care for the poor, care for the outcast. Um, and that's really the moral core of where we think the nation ought to go. Speaking about the right's militarism versus their lack of concern for the working poor is the Reverend Jim Wallace. He's head of Sojourners magazine and author of the 2005 bestseller, God's Politics, Why the Right Gets It Wrong and the Left Doesn't Get It. Right now, 
the war in Iraq costs us $1 billion per week. And we can't get $5 billion over 10 years for childcare in this country. Nine million families are working full-time, working hard full-time responsibly and not making it. The last clip is of the Reverend Tony Campolo, an evangelical leader raging against the idolatry of the right. We are furious that the religious right has made Jesus into a Republican. That's idolatry. To recreate Jesus in your own image, rather than allowing yourself to be created in Jesus' image, is what's wrong with politics. If you're interested in this subject, you can check out my podcasts 9 and 10. For the readers out there among you who really want all the details, there's also my book-length essay, whose title refers to the parable of the sheep and the goats in the 25th book of Matthew, where the As You Did It Unto Me teaching comes from. The title of my essay is Matthew 25. What would Jesus do? Jesus would send all these right-wing pseudo-Christians straight to hell. I don't pull any punches, do I? This essay is in the form of a dialogue between me and a composite right-wing Christian in which I answer all the right-wingers' questions about and objections to my point of view. The right-wingers' questions are based on all the right-wing talking points about the issue I've received in emails over the years or otherwise heard in the media. In the essay, you can learn a bulletproof debating tactic to use with right-wing Christians, which I call the Equivalent Alternative Solutions Challenge. Finally, let me mention the website liberalslikechrist.org, an internet pioneer. It went online ten years ago before many of us were even hooked up to the web. Ray Dubuque, who runs the site, and I have exchanged links for many years. His site provides an extensive range of information. Liberalslikechrist.org is organized in a subject matter fashion and is much less confrontational, much less in-your-face than my essay. So it would be better for those who respond to that kind of a more subtle approach. Ray also has a good mailing list. He sends out lots of interesting stuff, including action alerts. I put links to liberalslikechrist.org as well as to the organizations of Reverends Edgar Wallace and Campolo on my data resources page. Yet more ammo to blast the right, in a gentle Christian manner if that is your want, and in a kick-ass, take-no-prisoners fashion, should that be more your style. Either way, just do it. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on my podcast homepage. You can get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. Here's the Podcast Alley voting report. Last month, Blast the Right finished number 7 on the Podcast Alley Top 10. That's quite an accomplishment, especially for a one-man operation, and I want to thank all of you who voted so very, very much. This month, things aren't so far going so well. Last time I looked, we were at number 8, and the podcasts behind us were surging ahead and poised to overtake us soon. By the time you're listening to this, in fact... Blast the Right may well have been kicked out of the top 10. It really means a lot to me to stay on that list. 
Last month, being there brought tons of new subscribers. So please, go vote right now. If you've registered a Podcast Alley, it takes five seconds. Click on the link, click vote, and it'll immediately say vote counted. Even if you're not registered, it might take 30 seconds. A short amount of time compared to the half hour or so podcast you've just, I hope, enjoyed. A special shout out to all the Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. You can go to the podcast homepage and download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want. You can also go vote at podcastalley.com. Let's now hear a word from the Progressive Podcast Network. He Hi, this is Nancy of Wake Up AM, Wake Up America podcast. Kathy, Meg, and I are proud to be members of the Progressive Podcast Network. Check out all of the great podcasts over at newmediarevolution.org. I'm happy to tell you that by next week's podcast, hopefully, I'll have a blast the right MySpace page up at myspace.com slash blast the right. Music credits. Bumper music was We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry and Not The One Blues by Bernshee Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Catapult the Propaganda by Nye's Music, which, by the way, also wrote the Blast the Right theme. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. I love getting it. You can reach me at rational at adelphia.net. If you want to, you can leave a comment to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me and leave a message there. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons. There is no question that we have evidence and information that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction, biological and chemical particularly. Simply stated, there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. We're there to to eliminate the weapons of mass destruction in that country. We know that Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons and has used chemical weapons. We know that. We now have teams of investigators who are hard at work to uncover the truth. The kind of catapult of propaganda. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again. The kind of catapult of propaganda. Catapult of propaganda. <laughs>